We live in a DIY world. Do, do you know what that means? DIY means? Oh, so <laughs> you're some do-it-yourselfers out there. I see how you are. Yeah, not so much me. I'm not very good at, well, much of anything like that. But I, I know this. You can hop on YouTube, and in about five to seven minutes, you can figure out how to do anything. I, I mean, you need to fix your washing machine, just look for it on YouTube. You need to work on your car, just go on to YouTube. You, you need to fix the uh, electrical wires in your house. Well, I would encourage you to call an electrician, but you can do what you want. We live in a, a do-it-yourself world, and, and in fact, there's a whole genre of TV shows that have sprung up as a result of this idea of doing it yourself. But there's a lot of people like me that aren't very good at it. And so some of the times that we try to do it ourselves, it ends up in disastrous ways. And so there's a, a show that has come about that really deals with that. It deals with the messes that people create when they're trying to have makeovers. The show is called, Help! I've Wrecked My House. And so maybe you've been there, done that. Let me tell you how the show description describes what's taking place. Jasmine Roth rescues homeowners who took on major DIYs and are living without bathrooms, kitchens, bedrooms due to issues they can't fix. Jasmine and her team help finish the problematic projects and turn mishaps into dream spaces in record times. Maybe you need to call Jasmine. This is what she said. She said, at first glance, you walk into a house and you say, this is great. And then you realize, this is not great. In fact, this is not safe and it is not done and it needs some help. One of the biggest transformations that takes place on that show is a couple that has begun to work on their master bathroom. And when Jasmine comes along, I mean, it is just a disaster. It's a mess. The plumbing's in a mess. The electrical wiring's in a mess. I mean, if it's left undone, it's going to be a dangerous place to be. And so she comes in and, and she helps. You know, I've hung out with folks like us for all of my life, and, and I've hung out in this kind of space in a church as the leader, as a pastor for 30 years. And, and as I, I watch people in their faith journey, one of the things I've noticed is a lot of us have times in our life where we could yell, help, I wrecked my life. We want what God has to offer, but we want it our way. We want it in our time. We want it in our methods. We want kind of a do-it-yourself faith. And yet, yet as you look throughout history, what you discover is that that doesn't work. A, a do-it-yourself faith is, is going to end up messing you up. When you try to work out your faith or you try to earn your faith or, or you try to do everything you can do on your own, you're always going to fall short. And you always find yourself crying out, help! I've made a mess. I've wrecked my life. Fortunately, God's Word addresses this. And it addresses it in a big way in the passage we're going to look at today. So do me a favor, take your copy of God's Word, turn in the New Testament to the book of Romans. We're going to be in chapter 4, we're going to pick up in verse 18. Now, you need a copy of God's Word because the Bible says 
that you, when you hear teaching, you, you should test it against the Word of God to make sure it's being taught accurately and, and with the, uh, the, the, the correct understanding of what God intends. And so whether you have that electronically or whether you have a, a paper copy, I, I hope you'll follow along in God's Word. And today, just to switch things up a little bit, would you stand together with me as we read this short passage? Just as a way of honoring that this is God's word. This is perfect and this is true. And when we get to the end of this, I'll pray for us, okay? Uh, Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 18. Against all hope, Abraham in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him. So shall your offspring be. Without weakening his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us. Wow, that's good. But also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who Jesus raised, who, who Jesus our Lord, raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. I can't wait to unpack this package, passage, but I want to focus you on just two verses. Look again at verse 20 and 21, and let's read these aloud together. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Now let's go to God in prayer. Father, Wow, in the name of Jesus, we have gathered, and oh, we've sung about how good you are. You're a miracle-working God. You can do it. We believe, and we've sung that truth. And then we've told you how we feel in light of our, our lives and our world around us. We're desperate for you, Jesus. We need you to intervene, to meet us in this moment. We need a move. So God, would you speak? We're listening Lord, I was reading this morning just in the story of Samuel, and I'm, I'm reminded there are times in history where the voice of the Lord was, was silent. God, we don't want that today. Speak that we might hear. And then help us, as Samuel had to learn, help us. Help us to recognize the voice of the Lord in our individual lives as you teach us those things that we need to learn, as you give us those things we need to have, as, as you make us into the men and women and boys and girls and young adults that we need to be, oh, Father, move in our lives. And begin with me. Let the words I say and my thoughts be pleasing to you, Lord. As they come out of my lips, may it be representative of you, Jesus, 
Holy Spirit, would you work in this moment? And where comfort is needed through this time in your word, would you grant comfort? Where conviction is needed, would you grant conviction? Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. And God, may we walk away changed. May somebody walk away moving from death to life. But may all of us walk away changed. So here we are listening, Lord. Teach us. Even as you taught your disciples to pray, when you prayed, and and friends, pray with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And all God's people said, amen, amen. You can be seated. Do you ever felt like you wrecked your faith life? Uh, Romans is a book in the, in the Bible. It's, it's actually a letter to a group of Christians who had become a church in Rome. It's written by the Apostle Paul. It, it's a book all about salvation. You know, in this kind of space, we talk about being saved. What are we saved from? You're saved from the punishment of sin. You're saved from the plans and designs that you might have had for your life. You're saved to a life with God and for His glory. And and so Romans is a book that kind of tells us how to understand that salvation. It's called soteriology, the study that allows us to know about salvation. Well, you can't talk about salvation without talking about faith. You, you'll never make the journey from unbelief to a relationship with God without faith. And so chapter 4 in Romans talks all about faith. In fact, the whole book of Romans deals with this. More than 60 times you'll find the word faith or unbelief in Romans because you can't understand salvation without understanding faith. In fact, the Bible says you can't please God without faith. And so Abraham's a great example of faith. When we first meet him, he's referred to as Abram. God ends up changing he and his wife's name. And, and so Abram and Sarai become known as Abraham and, and Sarah. But it's because of their journey of faith. We first meet Abram, as he's known, and he's a polytheistic man raised in a polytheistic family. That just means he was taught that you can worship a lot of gods. You know, there's a lot of people that do that today. They'll give Jesus a little bit of their life, a little bit of their heart, but there are other idols that are in place as well. But, but at, at one point in his life, the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 12 that God came to Abram and he said, follow me. I, I'm, I'm going to show you where to go. And that's the first time Abram said yes. It was a step of faith. That's where it all began. And and I believe, according to Scripture, there's got to be a beginning point for you too. Occasionally, we hear, we'll hear folks say, you know, I've always been with God. I've always followed Jesus. Nope, not true. You haven't. You were born separated from God. There has to be a moment in your life where your faith journey begins. We call that being born again because that's the words Jesus used. Or, or being saved or becoming a Christ follower. So Abram took that step, and you would think after that step, just like sometimes we think after that step, everything's going to be okay, but it wasn't. In fact, even Abram was not okay. He had faith, but his faith was flawed. He was a sinful follower of God. 
And he's sending some big ways all along the journey. But there was another time uh, when God brought Abram out and told him to look up at the night sky. Remember that story? He said, see the stars? And, and Abraham was like, wow, yeah. He said, as many of those stars are in the sky, so I'm going to make your descendants. Abram, you're going to be the father of the nations. And he's like, wow. Wait a second, what? Because at that point, he was probably about 85 years old. And he didn't have any children. And in order to have descendants and to be a father of the nations, you would have to have children. So Abram and his wife Sarah, I mean, they went through years. It would end up being a generation, about 15 years before that promise was fulfilled. And, and you know what they did? They did what you and I do. See if you've ever done this. Have you ever tried to help God out? <laughs> It's a do-it-yourself faith. God, I, I can help you do this. I know you said this, but let me show you how you really do it. So uh, God had told Abram and Sarah they were going to have a child, but they decided to take it into their own hands. And so one day, Sarah said to Abram, hey, this isn't working out, and we got to get going on this thing. And, you know, I've got my maid over here. Why don't, listen, why don't you have a relationship with her? And have a baby. And Abram, being a man, said, okay. How do you think that worked out? Not good. All kind of bitterness, all kind of hatred. I mean, this story's in the Bible, and it'll make you go, what? I mean, it's crazy. That's the flawed faith of the guy we're studying. But that flawed faith is an example that we're told we can look to. Eventually... Abraham and Sarah, Abraham's 100 years old. They, they do have a child. God answers his prayer. He keeps his promise. Because that's what God does. But that's a journey nonetheless. So Paul has reminded us that if we're going to have faith, it's not going to come by how good we are. Because all of us are flawed like Abraham. And if we're going to have faith, it's not going to be out of religious rituals. Things we like to do. Let's name some of them. Uh, baptism. Uh, catechism. Uh, some of you went through something called confirmation. Are you going to a church class? Are uh, um, you raised your hand and said, I said a prayer. Or you've walked down an aisle. Um, are things you do like giving in the offering plate. And, and, and Paul reminded us in Romans 4 that it, it's not based on those kind of things any more so then Abraham was saved by this act of circumcision in his life. I mean, think, think about that. We're, we're not going to detail discussion about this, but just think how weird it would be if God's plan was that the way you get to heaven is through this act of circumcision. And yet that's what people were teaching. And so Paul's straightening all that out. It's faith, he says. It's, it's simple faith. You just, you got to trust Jesus. But to drive that home, he goes back to the story of Abraham. He's made it clear that our only hope is faith alone, by grace alone, and Christ alone. But he knew the default of mankind was to go back and try to do it yourself. That's how legalism springs up, by the way. And some of the most legalistic people that I've ever known, 
they have some of the most radical testimonies. I mean, God has saved them from the pit. I mean, maybe they were in alcohol addiction or, or drug abuse, and God saved them. And sometimes that person, they so struggle with this reality that you mean I'm saved just by God's grace, that even as a follower of Christ, then they begin to be legalistic, and they begin to be some of the most judgmental people looking down on others. Because that's our default. And so Paul's driving it home. He drives his faith point home as he concludes the chapter. In verse 18, where we started, it began this way. Against all hope. That's where faith begins. When you're hopeless. Have you ever been there? Are you there today? When we're hopeless, our, our natural tendency is to try to fix things, to do it ourselves. But the Scripture clearly teaches when our hope decreases, our faith must increase. Our God works in the moments of our hopelessness to demonstrate who He is. I want you to think back of a time where God proved Himself faithful. A time maybe where He's given you provision in your life or, or, or He healed you or, or He restored a relationship. Do you have that in your mind? I was meeting with our our staff earlier this week, and I was thinking about this passage, and so I asked them, hey, what are some times in your life? There were some great stories. One, one person, one of our staff members, they said, you know, I, I felt like God told me to pursue this education, and it, it became the beginning of a semester, and I, they called me and said, hey, you have this bill, and I said, well, I don't have money to pay the bill, and so I just went back into my prayer closet, and I said, God, you told me to do this. Um, how are you going to pay the bill? And he said, so a, a day or so later, I, I called back and said, now, how much do I owe? And they said, no, you don't owe anything. It's been paid. And he said, wait, what? What do you mean it's been paid? What's the name of the person who paid it? We don't have a name. A guy just came in here. Well, look at the check. Uh, what what's name is on the check? Well, he didn't pay with a check. Well, look on the credit card receipt. What name is on there? He didn't pay with a credit card. Someone just came in and gave us cash. We don't know who it is, but your bill has been paid. That's a pretty good example of God's provision, right? Uh, another, another staff member was saying there was a time in their lives where it was just really tough. They, the funds had been low. One of their children even came in as they looked in the refrigerator and said, Mom, are we going to make it? Are we going to starve? Some of you have come in kind of at that place today, desperate for God to move. They weren't quite at that point, but still they needed God to provide. That day they got a call from someone that had been in an event and, and said, hey, we've got a lot of food left over from this event. Do you think you could use it? And they said, absolutely. So they loaded up a trunk full of food and they took it by their house. And, and she said, when we got home, I took my son out there and I just pointed that food and I said, see, our God always provides. He's faithful that way. I could tell you a time when as a staff, Man, we still had a debt on this building, and I'm, I'm so thankful, even though that there was debt for a season, that we went into debt for this building because that gave us a, a plan of action during COVID. It gave us a way that we could meet safely, but we still had a debt on this building, so we would gather at our 1002 prayer time, and we would pray that God would send people to resource the vision of the church. And one day, we specifically prayed that God would send people that would pay off the debt. It wasn't long after that that someone who was a new member of our church 
contacted the office and they said, I need to meet with Pastor Paul. Now, usually when someone says, I need to meet with you, I hide because that's, that, that can be a rough meeting. Um, but this wasn't. They said when they met with me, Pastor, we had called the office to find out exactly how much the church owed on its debt. And long story, but God's blessed us. And we've got something we want to give to the church, and we're going to hand it to you. And they handed me a check for over $400,000. And I thought, man, my God answers prayers. My God provides. But I know what some of you are thinking. Stop it, Pastor. Because I heard you walk through that list and you ask about provision. And, and we need provision right now. And I heard you talk about healing. And I need healing right now. And I heard you talk about reconciliation. And, and my relationships are not okay right now. One of our staff members raised their hand and they said, You know, in our life there's a lot of testimonies of, of God's faithfulness. He's been faithful to his promise, but, but right now we're in a season where we're having to trust without seeing that. And so that may be where you are. You're still waiting on the Lord. <laughs> if you are, you've come to the right place because I have a message specifically for you. Are you ready? Here it is. God is able. Do you hear that, church? Our God is able. Able. Say that with me. Say, God is able. Listen to the word of God, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's what Paul's saying Abraham did. He trusted God even when it didn't make sense. As someone once said, and as we've sung in the song, when, when you don't understand, uh, when you don't see his plan and you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. He is able. He's faithful. If you're a follower of Jesus, hope should be the overriding ethic of your life. Against all hope, you never give up hope. I saw this acrostic that speaks to what hope is. Maybe you can relate to this. Hope is having only positive expectations. Isn't that great? Having only positive expectations. Someone says that Christians should be hopetivists. We should be activists of hope. Are you a hopetivist today? I'm not telling you to put your hope in and just platitudes or empty thoughts, I'm saying put your hope in Jesus. But thanks to Jesus, there is hope in every situation. That's why two of my favorite words in the Bible are, but God. When you see something difficult taking place in Scripture, it's not unusual that then you see these words, but God. And maybe today, you just need a little hope infused into your life and into your attitude. Maybe as Zig Ziglar used to say, you need to do a checkup from the neck up and get rid of that stinking thinking. You need to be a hopetivist. Sometimes we have to trust God even in the land of I don't understand. I'm going to go, Lord, even though you're telling me and I don't think it makes sense. 
And that's where Abraham was. Look at verse 19. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Say as good as dead. Now, I want you to understand what that means. So let me tell you, in the original language, that means as good as dead. It's that simple. You don't need an explanation. Abraham looks down at his body and he says, you ain't worth much. You got one foot in the grave. You're heading out of here. You're as good as dead. Why? Because he was about 100 years old. And then it says, and Sarah's womb was also dead. So he's got this promise from God, and he's saying, against all hope, I'm going to trust you, God, even though your boy's 100. The one you're saying is going to be a, wa- a mama She's 90 and she's never had any children. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. You you see, when you feel like things are as good as gone or as good as dead, that's looking at your circumstances. And we all have those. Whether or not you have them today, you will have them one day. But it's in those moments that you need to take your eyes off of your circumstances and look at your God. How big is your God? Notice what he says. He he strengthened in his faith and he gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Do you believe God is able Do you believe that God can do what he says? Church, that's what you've got to decide. What do I believe about God? For some of you, your God is too small. Abraham understood something. Though he looked at himself and he thought, I'm as good as dead. Though he looked at his wife and he said, her womb is dead. He understood that his God brings dead things to life. That's who God is. That's what he does. For some of us, though, our God is too small because we think what God does is that he just makes bad things better. Or maybe even a good thing, he'll make a little better. But that's minimizing who God is. If you think what God did is just make you better, then you want others just to be better like you. And you become judgmental when they're not as good as you. But if you think God did, what God did is make you alive, that you were dead, but now you're alive, that you were blind, but now you see, that you were lost, but now you're found, if you believe that, then you want everybody to have the life that you've had. You want them to be raised to life like you. I don't know about you, but I believe in a God who raises the dead. I believe in a God who opens the barren womb. I believe in a God who heals the brokenhearted. I believe in a God who makes the blind to see. And I believe in a God who makes the lame to walk. I believe in a God who is able. Had Abraham looked down at his life alone, he would have seen the impossible. But because he kept looking up to those stars, he realized that with his God, all things are possible. Humanly speaking, our life may seem hopeless, but praise God, 
we are not relying on the work of human hands. If your life is relying on human hands, you're stuck in a do-it-yourself mode that is never going to work. You need to live your life day in and day out with the recognition that your only hope against hope is that you are in the hand of God. By the way, if you're on that aging end, maybe you're not ready to say like Abraham, I'm as good as dead, but you recognize things aren't working like they once did. You're not looking like you once looked. Can I just remind you of something that I learned from this passage of Scripture? God's not finished with you. He's not limited by your age. Some of the best things he may have for you to do for his kingdom, for his glory, may be in the later years of your life. Don't think you retire from serving him just because you've retired from what gave you a paycheck. You give your best to God. And you know what sociologists are telling us today? They say they believe our best years are in the 60s, the 70s, maybe even into the early 80s if God gives us that long. Just think about it. Think of all the wisdom, all the experience that you've gained if you live that long. See, Abraham had learned the secret. He had learned the secret to staying young. You know what it is? It's saying yes to God. When it said in Romans chapter 4 that it, he believed and it was credited to him as righteousness, that word believed in the Old Testament, you know how that's translated, the Hebrew word that it said believe? It's simply translated amen. Say amen. amen. You want to know how to stay young? Say amen to God. Now, it's a side note, but that may be why some of you look so old, you never say amen in church. Just a little humor. We have to weigh what we think is impossible. In Abraham's case, it was having a baby in old age. Against what we know is impossible. Let me tell you something we know is impossible. God cannot break his word. The Bible says God is not a man that he should lie. So remember, we have a book. We have the directions. We have a standard. God is not going to fail to do something he told us he will do. So at the end of the day, Abraham had to decide, am I going to look at my life and see what humanly speaking is impossible? Or am I going to trust in what I know is impossible? My God will not tell a lie. He is able. I'm going to trust his promises. So look again at his legacy, how that panned out, these two verses. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith, and he gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. That verse outlines itself. Did you see the three things? He did not waver. He was strengthened, and his life gave glory to God. Man, what a legacy, wouldn't all of us love that that would be said of us when they're remembering our lives? They did not waver. Even when they felt weak, they were strengthened by God. And man, you look at their life, and their life gave him glory. They left a legacy. What a testimony. Uh, someone surveyed people over 95 years old. They said, what would you do differently? Now think about that. Over 95 years old. 
Hey, just so we can celebrate, just in this room, I know others are watching, but anybody in this room over 95 years old by chance? I'm looking, I'm looking. Some of you say, I feel 95 years old. Okay, well, we'll celebrate you when you get there. Um, Three things they said. They said they would reflect more. They would spend more time thinking and reflecting on all that's happened. They said they would risk more. Think about that. Over 95 years old, they would risk more. And then they said they would do more things that outlasted them. They would think regularly about leaving a legacy. That's what Abraham did. So let me ask you those three questions. Are you wavering in your faith? Wavering means just to go from side to side, and one day I'm strong, and one day I'm not. And one, uh, A friend of mine this week, uh, they, they needed to do something, but they called me and they said, Pastor, I can't do it because I have vertigo. You know what happens when you have vertigo? You can't even stand up straight. I mean, you feel like the world is moving. You feel nauseous. You feel sick. That's wavering. And, and Abraham didn't waver in his faith. How about this one? Are you being strengthened in your faith? Are you walking in the strength of God or are you focusing on your weakness? And then the big one, is your life bringing him glory? You see, the opposite of this statement is true. When we waver, our strength is weakened and we rob God of his glory. So when you profess to be a Christ follower, but you've wavered in such a way that your life doesn't look like you're following Christ, you may think you were doing it yourself and pulling yourself up by the bootstraps and you'd get stronger, but the reality is you get weaker. And when you get weaker, you know what that does as a Christ follower? It robs God of glory. Because instead of the people in your little corner of the world looking at you and saying, wow, what a God they serve, they look at you and say, I don't know that their God's making any difference. All Abraham had was a promise, but he believed. He believed God would do it, and he gave glory to God, and he received a blessing, and so will you. So what if you can't see it? Well, we've got to trust God's promises even when we don't see his provision. Our faith is strengthened. When we do that. And our God is glorified. So, so that's a take home for some of you right there today. Some of you are saying, God, man, I feel like I'm fighting hell by the acre. Things are not working out. It's tough right now. I, I'm in the land of I don't understand. But God, I'm going to trust your promises. I'm going to stand on the promises of Christ my King. Is your faith weak or strong? Has your faith wavered or has it been consistent? Does your faith bring greater glory to God? If not, what are you going to do about it? So let me just give you four takeaways if I'm going to live with this kind of faith. Number one, we should persist in faith with hope. Let's just make a decision today. Because I have faith in Jesus... I'm going to be a hopeful person. I'm going to let it affect everything in my life. I'm going to let it affect my countenance and how other people see me. I'm going to live with hope. 
with great expectation. We think of faith. We think of Hebrews and that great roll call of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Those saints of God who even in the midst, almost every one of them, of trial and difficulty, they trusted God in faith. They had hope. Secondly, we should persevere in faith with obedience. So if I say I'm going to have faith, do this exercise. Say, what areas of my life am I not doing what God said to do because I'm not responding in faith? And I'm just telling you, I can't speak for you, but, but for me, one of the regular tests of that is my financial stewardship. I think that's why Jesus talked about it so much. And even this morning as I was doing my daily reading, my plan through the scriptures, uh, Jesus was giving his woes to the Pharisees where he was kind of, he was meeting with the Pharisees and he says, woe are you for this? Woe are you for that? I mean, it's like bad. And this is what he said. Woe are you who who you give just the tithe and you, you think that's okay. Yeah, keep tithing, but don't stop there. You see, Jesus was constantly promoting that the generosity with which, you, with which you live with that which you have, that's a direct reflection of how much you trust that God is who he says he is. So it, it really doesn't matter how, how long you've been coming to church or how long you've been going through some other motions. If there are big areas in your faith where you say, I'm just not going to trust you, God, with that. I mean, would you really trust God to keep you out of hell, but you won't trust him with a portion of your paycheck? Wow. So we should persevere in faith with obedience. And, and that may not be your area. Maybe you've not followed through in believer's baptism just because you've got a thing with water or a thing with being in public. Or, or maybe you don't spend daily time in the Word just because you're undisciplined. Obedience should flow out of our faith. Thirdly, we should proclaim our faith on mission. You see, we're reading about Abraham because he lived out his faith. And when you live out your faith, those in your little corner of the world, you don't have to be Billy Graham. They'll see it in your daily life. You'll be so different from this world that they'll see you're on a different mission than most people. Live out your faith on mission. And then finally, project your faith with joy. Project your faith with joy. If you've got this relationship with God through Jesus, by His grace that's changed your everything, man, it should be making a difference. Hey, do me a favor right now. Take take this finger like this. Everybody participate, please. You can draw this out. Then take this finger. Everybody do this. Uh, Now turn it kind of inward like this. Point. Now push up. See how much better that is? And people from time to time say, Pastor, we, we, we like it because you smile all the time. In fact, they say, you smile often. You're about to hit us over the head with a truth from God's word and sting us, but you're smiling while you do it. And I just have to tell you, I'm not doing that to manipulate. I'm smiling because I believe what I'm saying. I'm smiling because this God that I'm professing, this faith that I have, it's real. He's changed me. And I believe he is able to do what he says he will do. It comes through in joy in our life. If you and those in your little corner of the world do not see joy in your life, 
I, I just say you got to question your faith. I don't want to create undue doubt, but if you go through life without joy, you've got to ask why. I'm just moved to emotion as I look at my friend Cheryl. Her husband Dave's going through a tough health battle, and he has been for a while, and it's pretty tough. In and out of the hospital the last two weeks, home now, probably watching us online right now. Hey, Dave. Um, But the reality is I visited him last week before last Sunday in the hospital, and we talked about how Dave really couldn't be in church. It was just so hard for him physically. And I look out last week, and there he was. And you know what he had on his face? He had the biggest smile you could imagine because he was excited to be in the house of God. He wasn't looking at the circumstances in that moment of his life. He was resting in the one to whom he's placed his faith. See, I'm just telling you, the promises of God and the principles of grace make all things possible when you believe in faith. That's the heart of the gospel. The heart of the gospel is that God brings dead things to life. Abraham's just a human picture of that. He took a dead womb of a 90-year-old lady and he gave her childbirth. God demonstrated this ultimately However, in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul reminds us of at the end of chapter 4. That's where our faith really becomes a reality. When we come to grips with the fact that we are all born dead inside. You see, like Abraham, every one of us are as good as dead. Even at birth. That's what sin does to us. But our hope is that we look to Christ in faith. And when we, as dead men and women and boys and girls, when we look to Christ in faith, He makes that which is dead alive. He gives us the promise. Just think about this. He gives us the same promise of life that was given to Sarah's womb. But beyond that, it's the same promise of resurrection life that was given to Jesus Christ when he rose from the dead. That's what he says in verse 25. He was delivered over to death for our sins. He was raised to life for our justification. How are we saved? All we do is we look to Christ in faith and realize he makes that which is dead alive. And he wants to do that for you. That's probably the best words of this whole chapter in verse 24. And this is about us. It's also for us. Think about it. Abraham had to have faith in what he couldn't see. We've got it much better. We've got all of God's word that shows us again and again that he's faithful, that he's true, that he's a promise keeper, that he's a way maker, that he's a light in the darkness. That is who he is. You can trust him whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through. We know God did what he said he would do. He did it again and again. He did it with Noah. He did it with Abraham. He did it with Joshua. He did it with Moses. He did it with David. And we could go on and on and on. But ultimately, he did it with his son. He did it with Jesus Christ who died on the grave for our sins but rose to life so that we could be made right with him.
God always keeps his word. And there's nothing he cannot do. But the Bible also says there's nothing we can do without him. Our faith is not a do-it-yourself faith. We just wreck our lives. But thanks be to God, we wreck our lives. But Jesus comes in by his grace and makes miracles out of our messes. We just don't have much excuse for unbelief, my friend. But we have to look to him in faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Let's bow our heads together. Man, I don't know how you listen to these truths from scriptures and not be doing a little reflecting right now. How are you in your faith journey? So first, you just got to resolve, you know, do you have that relationship with God through Jesus by faith? Faith in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. If so, you're probably like me. You've got some flaws in your faith. I've got good news. We're in decent company. <laughs> That's everybody who's ever lived. That's why we have this story of Abraham. But if you know of some of those, it's probably a good time to repent. Ask in faith that God would just demonstrate his provision in your life. Tell him you receive his forgiveness again. You realize you're not going to get out of this. You, you need the power of the gospel, that same power, to help you in these sin struggles as you needed to save you. You got a marriage mess, you need that same power of the gospel, looking to Jesus in faith. You got a financial mess, you need that same power of the gospel, looking to Jesus in faith. Your educational pursuits are in a mess, your work life's in a mess, you need the power of the gospel, looking to Jesus in faith. Maybe you'd take a moment and just look to him right now. But I'm just telling you, there's no doubt in my mind, somebody's here today and you've never begun a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm not saying you're a bad person. <laughs> you may be, you may not be. But you recognize you don't have a relationship with Christ because you were separated from God at your birth and you've never trusted Christ alone, by grace alone, in faith alone. And so now you need to do like Abraham did. You just need to look to God and say, okay, God, yes, amen, yes, God. And you don't need me to help you do that, but I'm, I'm happy to help you do that. Maybe you would pray a simple prayer like this. Just say, Jesus, I know I need you. I'm desperate for you. I know I'm a sinner. I'm flawed. But I know you died for me. And I know you're alive today. So here I am. Looking to you in faith. I'm not going to do it my way anymore. I can't fix this myself. But I'm going to trust you are faithful. So yes, change me, God. Save me, Jesus.
tell him thank you. Jesus, I'm so grateful that on a rainy Florida Sunday morning, you're still doing the greatest miracle you've ever done. You're taking that which is dead and you've brought it to life. So God, for those that just cried out to you and said yes, I pray you just give them peace and clarity and confidence in this moment. Jesus knew that this was such an important part of our faith life that before he exited the scene physically, he gave us a method by which to remember the importance of his death. That in his death, he gives life. We call that the Lord's Supper or communion. So if you're in this building, when you came in today, you had a chance to grab one of these little cups and these pieces of bread. They're all together. In a moment, if you need one of these, there'll be people that can help make them available. But I want you to understand what this is about. Jesus gathered with his disciples and he said, from now on, when, when you just come together to eat, I, I want you, when you take of this bread, remember that my body is being broken for you. And when you take of this cup, remember that my blood is being spilt for you. And that's exactly what happened on the cross. When Jesus died, his physical body was beaten to the point of death. When he died on the cross, his blood ran down that wooden cross. And so this is just symbolic, a cracker and some juice. It's so much more than that for us who believe. Because in faith, our flawed faith, we're looking to the cross. And we're saying, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> thank you, Jesus. We can't do this on our own. Were it not for the cross, we would be hopeless. But against all hope, Jesus died and rose again. For you, for you, for you, for me. So thank you, Jesus. Thank you for that death that gives us life. <laughs> and thank you for what that means in our lives. That you took us who were dead and, and, and you made uh, us alive. And, and thank you that you gave us this reminder of that power of the gospel in our daily living. So that even today, on this Sunday in August, that we can take of this bread and, and we can take of this cup. And even if we feel like we're as good as dead... God, we can look to you in faith. And we can not waver. We can be strengthened. We can give you glory. Because we know you are the God for whom all things are possible. So thank you, Jesus. We do this just as your followers have done for 2,000 years. We do this in remembrance of you.